Hey guys, welcome back to Joko Yo, and we're going to keep this series going um, with today's episode, which is going to get into, well, let's put it this way. As I've said before, I love it when big history connects with little history. I love it when you see the big stuff actually matter in the small towns, which I mean, honestly, everything does matter in the small towns. And So... I grew up watching slasher movies, you know, the, I hate to call them horror movies because they really weren't horrifying, I mean, the first couple, yeah, sure, shocking, yeah, I mean, tense, yeah, certainly, but after three or four Friday the 13th movies, you, you kind of get the formula, and also with the Nightmare on Elm Street, the first one's really good when you get past the first one, anyway. So, the horror slasher movie, or scary story, everyone, every one of those reflects something about the society that creates it. It plays upon their fears, so to speak. Sometimes, they're fairly obvious when you think of it. For example, how many of you find Frankenstein horrifying? I mean, like the creature. You know? How many actually know the origins of Frankenstein's monster? I mean, how many people think that the tall, flat-headed creature with the knobs on his neck is the actual monster? You know, it came from a book by a lady named Mary Shelley, who was married to Percy Bysshe Shelley, and she herself was the daughter of the 18th century women's rights advocate Mary Wollstonecraft. Sort of gave she Miss Wollstonecraft uh, essentially gave birth to the modern feminist movement. And Mary Wollstonecraft, what you could see, her fitting right in with pushing for the Equal Rights Amendment. She was a social activist, and you know so was her son-in-law Percy Shelley, the one that married her daughter. Um, his poetry sounds a little bit like Bob Dylan. Well, sometimes. Well. You see, instead of writing essays like her mother or poetry like her husband, Mary Shelley turned to fiction. See, Mary Shelley wanted to catch your attention by capturing your imagination. Her mother was troubled by the illogical inequality that suffered by women and chose to use reason like the other Enlightenment philosophers like Thomas Jefferson and John Locke. You know, logic. Mary Shelley was terrified, like a lot of people, of the Industrial Revolution and the use of artificial power and labor. See, just think of what Mary Shelley saw get unveiled to the world for the very first time. Imagine the world without machines doing some of the more monotonous human jobs. Imagine, just think, how many things you want machines and technology to do for you. You know, just think for a second. I mean, if nothing else, just think of how I'm talking to you right now, even though I'm not actually there and I recorded this episode days ago. You know, riding in a car that in Shelley's time would have, I mean, would have served the purpose of a horse. You ride cars every day. A horse was made by God, in her mind, I mean, and a, a car, yeah, really not so much. And speaking remotely and instantly was nearly impossible before Shelley's age. I mean, before the telegraph, 
which was during Shelley's age, before the telegraph, long-distance communication was by letter, and it was most certainly not instantaneous. Now, both can happen with the use of another new tech, you know, electricity. See, like mass production of iron machines to replace human labor was done by new iron machines and things that used to be made of wood from trees that were made by God are now, and, and they were powered by beings that were made by God and that Mary Shelley saw these things come to be. I mean, the world was changing quickly and unpredictably and the things made by God are starting to be replaced by the things made by man and that terrified her as it did a lot of people. The world was changing quickly and unpredictably, and every new invention seemed to give birth to another new invention. Where and when would these changes stop? She was seriously concerned that these changes, you know, needed to be, if not stopped or restrained, at least reconsidered before unleashing them on the rest of the world. If we could and would, in her mind, replace God-made human labor so quickly with man-made inventions. Well, how soon before we replace God-made people themselves with man-made people? I mean, we were already replacing horsepower with steam power and electricity in her world. It's not too much of a stretch of a thought. See, the monster in her story, Frankenstein, was not really the creature. I mean, it kind of was, but not really. It was really the man that created the monster, Dr. Victor Frankenstein. In fact, in the book, the monster was never called Frankenstein in her, you know, it was never called Frankenstein in her book. It, the, the creature, the thing, it was called the thing, the being, the creature. It was never called Frankenstein. It was brought to life by a man named Dr. Victor Frankenstein who had been doing experiments with electricity. In fact, in the book, Dr. Frankenstein actually puts up a kite in the sky with a key. Does that sound like somebody else? Another person of the period that also was considered a doctor and his last name begins with Frank? Maybe Ben, Dr. Ben Franklin? Yeah. Just saying. Yeah, it is on purpose. So, yeah, she modeled Dr. Franklin after Ben Franklin. I didn't know that either until, until a few days ago. See, Mary Shelley did not set out to create a horror story, but to illustrate that just because we could do something doesn't mean we should do something, especially without considering consequences. She didn't set out to create a horror story. She was writing social commentary, not unlike Uncle Tom's Cabin, which was later written by Harriet Beecher Stowe to try to illustrate the horrors of slavery. The monster was Dr. Frankenstein. She didn't mean to terrify people, but it did, because the changes of the Industrial Revolution that she is actually talking about were visible to everybody, not just Mary Shelley. Change is scary, and with the number of changes for many people, it was a terrifying time. Just imagine how many changes she saw happen before the 1840s. So, with this book, Frankenstein, the fear now had a form. 
People weren't scared so much of Frankenstein's creature when the book was released, but rather the changing world that the creature represented. Scary stories are not inherently scary. Nothing about the words themselves are scary, but it is the fear that is already sitting in our minds that scary stories give form to. Like another Jurassic Park, for example, is essentially a riff off of Frankenstein. I mean, people were pretty up in arms about this whole idea of being able to clone creatures at the time period and and creating new creatures out of old ones using modern tech. It's just a riff off the same old Frankenstein story. It's just updated for modern days. Friday the 13th and the Nightmare on Elm Street movies, they play on the fears from middle-class American life from the 70s and 80s. I mean, all the kids that were victims of the slashers were middle-class teens whose parents could afford to send them to camps and buy them expensive audio equipment and waterbeds. But those movies reflected that middle-class lifestyle could be lost in an instant. I mean, think about what, think, think about, what about the Terminator movies? The Matrix, Get Out, and the like. So what makes them so unnerving? It's not the movies themselves. There's nothing about the movies themselves that are scary. It's the emotions they bring out in us that are just sitting there waiting to be addressed. Consider this. What's this got to do with Johnston? Here it goes. See, I grew up hearing about a place nearby called Acid Park outside of Wilson. Now, I know it's in Wilson County, but, I mean, if you are if you grew up in Johnston County in the 80s and maybe even early 90s and late 70s, you knew what Acid Park was. So there was a man, Wallace Simpson. So the story was his daughter in the 1960s took a hit of LSD one night, began driving erratically, wrecked her car, and died. And after the wreck, Mr. Simpson had dreams of what his daughter saw during her trip the night that she died. So as a memorial to his dead daughter, he spent the next 40 years recreating her visions. I mean, a wrecked car near his property kind of backed it all up. So the mention of Acid Park to a kid growing up in the 70s and 80s may well have given him a bit of the spooks. It did to me, I won't lie. But you see, here's the thing. Vala Simpson did indeed have a daughter, and he did indeed been on all these worldly gigs. But she, the daughter didn't die. He just had a lot of scrap metal. And after retirement, he had a lot of time on his hands. And that's the true story. No drugs involved. But for kids that were entering the teen years with new things being introduced to them that they could experiment with, the unknown, so to speak, the fear of Acid Park was actually the fear of, well, these new opportunities, these new bad opportunities, these, these, this scary thing called adulthood that's coming our way. Kids could rebel and steal a sip of white lightning maybe, but man... Now, that's some scary stuff. The worldly gigs were 80s-era Johnston County's version of Frankenstein's monster. A warning of even if you could, doesn't mean you should. Man, that was fun. It was short, but it was fun. And y'all, be good. Talk to you later. New episode coming 
in a week. Sort of, sort of, kind of on the same vein. Just sort of just hit. I don't know, man. A, a, a horror sto story streak just kind of started. But the next one, if you like that kind, got another one coming. This will be fun. Y'all be good.